We are in the book of Romans. Let's turn there, chapter 15, where it says, I want to be a blessing. And you go, wait, I thought the sermon was going to be on this. You don't know this about me. And I go, well, I woke up yesterday morning. I go, that's not the sermon. So <laughs> that happens. And uh, it, it was about Paul shared something about, about himself in Romans 15 that he never shared anywhere else. We would have known this about him had he not shared it. So I want to be a blessing. Here's Paul the apostle. He wants to be a blessing wherever he goes. I, matter of fact, don't you? I, wouldn't it be weird to say, oh, I don't want to be a blessing. I want to be a curse wherever I go. You know, I want to go in the room and have a spiritual grenade go off. Now, now I, 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 you, you hear all this stuff about don't be that guy. I want to be the guy. I want to be the guy who's a blessing. You know, like you, you feel like you had a spiritual shower when the guy walks by. I, he'll, he'll use the word refreshing. And there you go, yeah, that's what I want to be. Well, Paul finds out there's four areas of his life that have to be addressed if he's going to be a blessing. His first area, number one, if I want to be a blessing, I have to quit being judgmental to the, quote, Gentiles in my life. And so we're going to read uh, verses 15 and 16 of Romans 15. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. If you're looking for a Bible, that's the one I like. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points. He's saying, look, I know I'm coming on strong. Remember, you just, just address them judging one another and, you know, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what day of the week. He goes, who are you to judge the servant of another? In other words, who do you think you are? So he's coming on strong. But then last week, he, said, oh, he had those attaboys. Hey, look, I know not all is lost. You're, God's using you in several ways. So now I, I know I'm coming on strong in some points as reminding you, but it's because of the grace given to me by God. Now he's going to mention the Trinity here. So first he says, by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So there's the, the Trinity right there. But uh, he, he's going, this is, he's saying, I can't believe that God gave me a ministry to the Gentiles. It's like, you know, to the non-Jews, the goyim. God, I, is this a sense of humor, sense of irony? I grew up, Paul speaking, hating the Gentiles. Any Jew worth his salt 2,000 years ago hated the Gentiles. They had the attitude, hell is not hot enough for people like that. They were known for immorality. They, they just were known to be as far from God as possible. And, and you know, what a waste of time. Just let them go to hell now. And, and so he goes, I can't believe... That, that God's given me a, a, a ministry to people I once hated. In Acts 22, here's how we can prove it. Paul finally gets to go to Jerusalem, back to his place where he got his education. And he goes, oh, man, I, I want to share with my fellow Jews. I know I can do this. I can relate. I know how they think, how they feel. I just totally identify. And so he's doing this sermon to this huge crowd. And they're all following him, following him uh, until he says this word, until he goes, God sent me to the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, a riot breaks out because he mentioned Gentiles whom they hated. 
And he said, they would yell, away with such a man, he's not fit to live, meaning let's just kill him right now before he says any more of this nonsense. And that's how much they hated the, the, the Gentiles. Now, for us to relate, for, for something, to relate to somebody who has hated a people group for so long, I think of my two uncles, or two of my uncles that, who both fought in World War II. Uncle Walter, I never met him. He was killed before I was born. He was fighting in Normandy, in France. He was, he was killed. His brother, Uncle Harold, was serving on the other side of the world in the South Pacific. He was fighting Japanese. And he grew up just hating his enemy, whom he fought against and saw, a, you know, atrocities. Just, it's just sad. Okay, fast forward decades. War's over. We're all good. Uncle Harold and his wife come over and see us. They land in Honolulu. They drive straight to our house on, on North Shore. And entering our house, he looks in our driveway, and lo and behold, there's a Honda. His nephew drives a Japanese car. And he walks in the house and says, Hi, Mike. I can't believe you drive a Japanese car because he's had this hatred and bitterness for that people group. I don't. I'm trying to figure out oh, how. I, I love the Japanese. I've been to Japan many times. I have a ministry with several churches over there, and they're wonderful people. But I understand this went way back for him. This was personal. Now, good to, to explain. In time, because he died recently, in time he got over this hatred. And when he died, his, the last car he owned <laughs> was a Nissan truck, a Japanese truck. So he got over it. But just to think, wow, for some people, there's certain things that just trigger the wrong reaction. How about this? You might have a heart for sex-trafficked people. Who doesn't? For people that they, you know, these young women, young men who are kidnapped and forced into this slavery and just, just abused to the max, you'd have such a heart. And just, I, I love and support the work that's going on right down the street, Pearl Haven, to, to minister to the girls who had been uh, victims of that whole thing. But what about who has a heart for those, for the bullies who are doing the sex trafficking? Don't we just burn and just have that same attitude? Hell is not hot enough. Let them burn. What about having a heart for them who are caught up in such a sinful lifestyle? What about the drug cartel people? Those guys in Mexico who are ruining our border, bringing over drugs and guns and all that stuff. And you're, I, I just can't stand. Hell is not hot enough. See the, the attitude? You go, well, wait a minute. What if you have a heart for them? What if you have a heart to reach those who are causing such havoc? How about the Ukraine people right now? Who, who can watch the news and not just feel such a mess? This world, this is, we're talking about human beings? This is crazy what's going on. What about Putin? the one who's causing this war. 
the top gun in Russia, who's called, who has a heart for him? You go, are you kidding? Hell is not hot. See the idea? It just triggers this response. Here's how to get out of that. Paul's saying, yeah, that's how I felt to the Gentiles. God had to change my heart. God had to change my heart. He goes on to say, I'm not taking credit for this. This is God doing something in my life. Now, when you see that each person is created in the image of God, and each person has a living human soul that will live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell, that's when things begin to change. Yeah, they're caught up in a sinful lifestyle. Can you ever relate? Have you ever caught up in sin? Yeah, they're caught up. They're far from God. Can, can you relate? Yeah, they have a, a Can you relate? They're going to live forever in heaven or hell. Can you relate? And all of a sudden you go, oh, how do we start reaching these people? So he said, man, if I want to be a blessing, I got to quit being judgmental to those guys, the, the Gentiles in my life. Number two, if I want to be a blessing, I have to be willing to be inconvenienced. So now we pick it up in verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus for the things which pertain to God. For I won't dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. Anything done in me is Jesus Christ did it. In word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. Notice this in verse 19. We're going to hone in on this for a bit. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... And round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not my opinion, to God, preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. He goes, I'm not interested in going to a town that already has 50 churches proclaiming the gospel. I want to go where no one's gone. That's what he's saying. As it is written, or but is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. So now he's, he's talking about, okay, I need to be willing to be inconvenienced. He started off in Jerusalem. Now he's talking. We didn't know this about Paul. He's talking about going to Illyricum, a thousand miles away. Pretty much north, northwest, northeast, of, northwest of where he was. And, and he's going, I traveled there. He's going, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, how did you get there? Because there's no planes, there's no trains, there's no taxis. I mean, why would you go that far for those people? It doesn't make sense. He said, no, 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 they're created in the image of God. God has given me this love for the Gentiles in my life, and I'm going so he, then he goes, in verse 19, I call it never a dull moment. When he says, well, mighty signs and wonders and miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. What if we did a random thing of the, Paul's top five things? So I read through Acts, and I just, you know, he gets saved in chapter 9, and pretty much the rest of Acts through chapter 28 is about Paul's life. It's a great read. A great testimony of the power of God and this guy that's, whose heart was changed by Christ. So what if we have a guy who was traveling with him and he's saying, you know, I want to just 
give you five instances of, of how Paul was used. And, and so the first one, he was the first basket case Christian, literally. Paul, in, in chapter 9 of Acts, no sooner gets saved than they try to kill him. I'm not sure how Paul's mama felt, felt about this. Son, what are you doing? They're trying to kill you. They hate you. It was so thick and so bad that at night they lay, let Paul over the city wall in a basket. He was literally a basket case. They lowered him down at night and he got away because this new religion, this new Christian religion was so dangerous. They're trying to kill this guy. And, and you go, Paul, maybe you should think about this. You're a great author. Why don't you just sit back and, and write books or something? No, 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 I got to do this. But you never did that before. I know, God's changing my heart. See what he's saying? How about the second thing? He tells this guy to be blind for a season. Remember, he's talking about miracles. So he goes to this area in, in Acts 13, first mission trip. And, and uh, he, he's, he's getting some um, resistance from this sorcerer. So Paul's trying to reach the, the, the goyim, the, the Gentiles. This guy comes in the way. He gets in the way. Paul's ticked off. He said, no, man, my calling's to the Gentiles. You're in the way. And he goes, listen, I want you to be blind for a season. <laughs> and the guy goes blind. I mean, if you're watching, if you're there, he goes, dude, that's, nobody does that. And so all of a sudden, this guy is going around, help me, help me. And you go, Paul, people don't do that around here. He was getting in the way. And then kind of feisty guy. And so he was blind for a season. Then in, in chapter 14, he's stoned to death in this place called Lystra. So what happens, he goes up to Lystra. There's a guy who was born crippled. Born crippled. Never walked. And so all of his life, he's, he's not been able to walk. Paul goes up to him and says, I see this guy. He's able, get up. Get up and walk. Now the townspeople are watching this. Are you serious? We've known him his entire life. We did first grade together, you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, he jumps up since he leapt, leaped up and starts walking around. And the townspeople are going, this isn't Paul, this is Zeus. He is a god who's walking amongst us. And they start bringing out animals to sacrifice to Paul. And Paul's going, wow, they're, I guess it's a barbecue and... He's thinking, what's going on? And then he realizes what's going on. He goes, no, 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 no. Where you might be tempted to go, I like barbecue. Yeah, I, I'm pretty special. He said, hey, no, 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 no. And he starts sharing the gospel, so they stop. A few verses later, the same townspeople, instead of thinking he's a god and let's sacrifice bulls to him, now they say, let's kill him. And they do. They stone him to death. You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never... Man, sticks and stones hurt. And they're just, they throw enough of them that he's make. He's dead on the ground. And the, the townspeople were satisfied. All right, he's dead. Good. Let's get out of here. And they go back into the, into the town. I'm amazed he had disciples with him who, who stood by him. Don't you think if someone's getting killed for being a Christian and you're another Christian, you might go, hey, this is getting kind of hairy. But they stuck it out. 
And they ministered. They, were, they surrounded him. He comes back to life, and Paul goes, hey, let's go back in the city and see if anybody needs encouragement. Paul, people don't do that. Get out of here before they finish the job. And Paul's saying, well, maybe someone needs encouragement. Paul, maybe you need encouragement. People don't have that kind of love. Paul said, you know, God changed my heart. I once hated Gentiles. Now I would die for them. How about this one? <laughs> We're just doing five, Brent. I mean, there's tons more. This guy falls out of the third-story window. Now we're in Acts chapter 20, and uh, Paul goes long. And, you know, this guy, he's probably, I don't know, you can think, oh, maybe it was a laborer. Maybe he worked out in the field all day. And they're up third story. There's no light, electricity, so the lamps are burning, and the heat is going towards the window. He's sitting in the windowsill. And Paul's going on and on. People are going, land the plane, Paul, land the plane. And, and this guy falls backwards out of a third-story window. Don't you think he went, ah, on the way down? Don't you think people went, what, what was that? Boom. What was that? And so everybody runs downstairs. They gather around the body. He is dead. And Paul's thinking, I should have landed the plane. And instead, Paul goes down. Do you know the story? He falls on him. Paul, what are you doing? This guy's mom is just frantically mad. Oh, what are you doing? Turn boy, we don't do that around here. He just falls on the kid or on the guy, young man, it says. And he goes, hey, it's okay. He's still breathing. But that kind of stands out as one of those signs and wonders. I was there that night. That was like 30 feet high. He falls and dies. Paul falls on him. He lives. Paul says, yeah, many signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is the fifth one I want to share about was the, the part that inspired uh, Taylor Swift to write a song, Shake It Off. Where Paul, maybe you're familiar with it. Paul spent weeks at sea in a radical sea storm and, and the ship then crashed. They finally make it onto this small island. Paul says, okay, well, what do we do? Let's gather some firewood, which he does. And out of the wood comes a viper, a snake, and kills and bites him, injecting him with poison. So the locals, the Gentiles, the ones Paul's trying to reach, they go, well, <clears throat> okay, he escaped the, the sea. But obviously God's going to get him, and now he's going to die because of the snake. Paul just shakes it off into the fire. Go back where you belong. And he, he lives. He's not in, uh, affected by it at all. Jesus said this kind of thing would happen. He said, wow. Now, but if you were there, wouldn't you go, yeah, you have those two holes in your And the snake, how did that happen? He says, there's many signs and wonders. It's, these kinds of things happen. But, but here, maybe you're sitting there going, man, I haven't done one miracle. I, there's nothing. My life's kind of vanilla in comparison. There's nothing exciting. Well, maybe you're more like John the Baptist. What do you mean? John the Baptist never did one miracle. 
We read that in the Gospel of John. It's fascinating to compare these two lives. John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle's ministry went on for decades. John the Baptist, we think, was several months. We know he started around 30 as he was around just a few months older than Jesus, his cousin. Was beheaded soon after that. So decades for one guy, several months for another. One guy travels even a thousand miles away where he just sees it all. John, we think, yeah, just kind of stuck around hometown. Stuck around pretty much Israel, about the size of New Jersey. Paul the Apostle has all these radicals and signs and wonders and, and writes books. John never wrote a book. John never did one miracle. So what's so special? But he did exactly what God told him to do. He was faithful. So instead of going, well, I never did one miracle, are you faithful to do what God has called you to do? Because it's that simple. Now, if I want to be a blessing, I've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. Uh, sometimes we don't want to. So again, Paul, why would you do that? And why for those people that you once hated? How about this verse to answer? In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering towards us, that means you and me, not willing that any should perish. Gentiles, goyim, people on farthest parts of the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. And Paul's saying, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. He has a heart for the lost. I have a heart for the lost. Point, oh, and he says, by the way, elsewhere he writes, the love of Christ constrains me or compels me. That's why I'm going out. All right. Number three, and these go quicker. Number three, if I want to be a blessing, I have to make time for hang time. All right, so we're looking now at verses 22 through 29. Again, Romans chapter 15. For this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you because I've been traveling the whole world. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, I think my ministry's done for right now. And having a great desire these many years to come to you. I love that. So it's not some fleeting thing I thought of this morning. For years I wanted to come to you. Whenever I journeyed to Spain, so this there on the way to, Rome is on the way to Spain. I'm, I'm going to come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped by you uh, on my way there by you. So he's hoping that they uh, have a love offering for him. If first, notice this, the end of verse 24. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Make time for hang time. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. A little history background, Jerusalem had started a commune. Remember that in Acts chapter 5, and everything's together, and, you know, and the commune failed miserably. They thought the Lord was coming back so soon. Let's hooey everything together, and it was a miserable failure. Paul would get offerings from his travels and send them to the saints there in Jerusalem. For it pleased them, and indeed they're 
their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in the material things. Therefore, when I perform this and seal to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of blessing in the gospel of Christ. So he's making time to hang time with them. Folks know when you or I have time for them. Or they know when we're making excuses that we really don't have time. That you're really not that important to me. Or that I'd rather just watch TV or whatever. They know that. They pick up on that. So now, Kavena, the other day, my second granddaughter, Ivy, you're going to like this because you look good in this illustration, okay? I'm just telling it up front. Thank you for coming to church today. Just, uh, so she's saying, she, um, Kavena was staying with me and Karen, getting ready for youth camp, the junior high camp. And she goes, well, I'm going to go to Auntie Ivy's house. And Karen goes, uh, oh, what are you going to Auntie Ivy's house for? Look at her answer. She goes, oh, we're just going to chill for a while. That means we don't have an agenda. I don't know. We might bake cookies, go surf, watch TV. We don't care. Just to be with each other. That's what he's talking about. To enjoy your company. To be refreshed by each other. That's making time for hang time. We make time for the people we love and the things we love. When I first came here as a surf commando, surfing four times a day, I would come in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I made time. When I first fell in love with my bride, <laughs> guess who I spent a lot of time with? I made time. Here he's saying, you Romans, I can't wait to just hang with you guys. Just chill. It'd be so cool. Now, we had on the other extreme, this can backfire. Karen and I, one, <laughs> years ago, we, after church, we went up to this couple and go, hey, why don't you come over for breakfast? Come on, we just want to hang with you guys. They come over to our house, and as Karen and I are fixing breakfast, they're sitting on the couch looking guilty as sin. And they find, I go, uh, you guys okay? And they go, uh, what did we do wrong? <laughs> what? What did you do wrong? What are you talking? Why did you have us for breakfast? The only reason the pastor asked you for breakfast is you did something wrong. We like you. Want to have? So if we ask you over for breakfast this morning, don't go. Oh. This it, is so weird. Like, they, and sadly enough, they were going through some things, and soon after that, they they did get a divorce. But we had no idea, no idea at all. But it was this, why are you wanting to spend time with me? Because we like you. That's all. So here's our last point. If I want to be, now we're stepping it up, an eternal blessing. I have to point people to the God of peace. So we close out chapter 15, beginning verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Guys, unabashedly, I ask the same, especially for Easter. Four weeks away, it's our biggest outreach of the year. I have a, a direction, but I need 
and anointing. Please be in prayer for me. Strive together with me in prayers to God for me, he says. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea. He's not afraid of the Gentiles at this point. He's afraid of the Jews back in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Then he ends on this one, verse 33. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace. So here's what he's saying. Okay, he's writing to believers. Why would he talk about the God of peace? If you're a believer, you have peace with God. But do you have the peace of God? And so I would say, you know, some people, believers, live with regrets. And these regrets are like shackles or handcuffs that just tie them up for the rest of their life. They just don't enter into all God has for them because they're so living in regrets of something they did or said or didn't do or didn't say or, or something and just live with regrets. You can look at this scripturally. Let's put some names up here. Moses. For 40 years he's in a desert because of one thing he did. He killed somebody. It's kind of major. He killed an Egyptian and ran for his life. And he's tending sheep or goats in a desert. He had the greatest education available at the time. He had been a fantastic warrior and leader. He was being groomed to be the future pharaoh or king of Egypt. And all of a sudden, he's gone, man. You think like year 37, he's gone, such a bummer. Why did I do that? Don't you think he lived with some regrets? Or how about David, Bathsheba? Because of their sin, Nathan the prophet said, you know, David, the sword will never depart from your house, meaning your life will never be the same again. God took you from this being this humble shepherd, watching some sheep in the hills outside Bethlehem. You can go there today. The, Still pretty much the exact same thing. The, the, the hills outside of Bethlehem are wonderful. God took you from that, placed you as king. And if this wasn't enough, he would have done more. Oh, no, no, no. You had to go out on the rooftop that night. You had to look at that nude woman. How many people do that today? You have to look at that nude woman. You think it was going to end there, and it didn't. You abused your power. You brought her to your place. She submitted to you as a king. The sword will never depart from you. Don't you think David would regret that when Absalom, his first son, would try to kill him? Don't you think he would try to regret that when another son raped one of his daughters? Don't you think he'd, oh, man, there's the sword. It's never going to depart. I think he lived with regrets. Or we have Mary Magdalene. How many demons cast out of her? Seven. People believe she was a prostitute. Probably heard a number of times the equivalent of being called a slut. I think she regretted, oh, 
Why? And she could probably pinpoint where it first started. First entertain those devilish thoughts, never dreaming it'd go this far. You, you see, there's one thing about the gospel. The gospel fairly and, and more than sufficiently has the blame placed on Christ, the Lamb of God that we sang about, and the payment was done in full. See, the, the thing about the gospel, it's paid for. Jesus' last word, it is finished. An accountant's term, it's paid in full. You don't owe God anything. He didn't say, I did my part, now you do your part. No, he said, it's finished. Accept it. And, and with the gospel, the good news is I can put my trust in Christ. I, I can throw my sins if it were on Christ, and they'd be paid for completely. That's the good news. The thing is, what if I still have regrets? What, what if I still have memories and I, I walk by? David would walk by the city of Nob. Do you remember that city? The city of priests. All 70, some of them killed because of David and his lies. Do you think he'd walk by? I, I would avoid the city of Nob at all costs because it'd be this reminder of your sin, of your past, and how people paid consequences. You think Moses didn't walk by that place where that's where the Egyptians' blood was spilled? Or Mary Magdalene? Ugh. I used to go to that place a lot. And, and you can be forgiven as a Christian and still have regrets. And I'm not here to dig those up. Perhaps you already know what I'm talking about. And the good news is you can do something about Actually... You have to. Paul the Apostle talked about it. Now, Paul's regrets, he persecuted Christians to the death, meaning he made a mess of, of families. So he'd take the dad, he'd be killed. Now the wife and her kids have no income. And you think he'd like to walk by that, oh, there's that house, I just ruined that you know, just see that again and again? Paul, you have this calling to love those you hated, to, to, to reach the Gentiles, to go a thousand miles out of your way. How do you do that? And still as you go there, you go, oh, there's a place I did that. How? How? And he gives us the answer. He says, this one thing I do. And then he talks about two things. But it's a one-two. He says, I, I let go of those things behind. I let go of every mistake I ever made. I let go of every trophy I ever won. I let go of all that, because a trophy can slow you down just as much as a tragedy. And I reach forward to what's ahead. I press on. I want all that God has me. God laid hold of me. Remember I showed this last week? He laid hold of me in order that I might lay hold of something, and I'm not done until I get that. So I did, I had asked a friend, a pastor friend to, who's now a missionary in, in Japan, who is a good artist. I said, could you do a rendition of Tarzan hanging between two ropes? And I, I really thank uh, Pastor Bob for posing uh, for this. Uh, but here's Tarzan, two ropes. Okay, it's funny, but you remember it. 
forgetting those things which lie behind and reaching forward. To, so I, I picture Tarzan. And you, as a kid, I, were, weren't you kind of enthralled with this guy? Like, what? He just kind of just does this. But he'd always, as he'd reach out for the new rope, he'd let go of the old rope. And then do it again. And, and now, but what if he doesn't let go of the old rope? How stupid. Let it go. But I like this rope. Let it go. It's slowing you down. But uh, you know, it's so, so painful. I got just let it go, because what happens is Tarzan, after time, gets tired, and he gets cranky. He gets hard to be around because he's not letting go of the past, of the regrets, of the sin. Just let it go. It's been forgiven. Reach forward to what he has for you. And if you don't, Tarzan. It's your fault. It's not my fault. You're uh, abusing the Word of God. You're, you're disobeying the Word of God. You're going by your feelings. I get it. We've been there. But until you let go and reach forward to what God has for you, you're no good for the kingdom, basically. You're just stuck. Yeah, but I regret what I did or said or didn't do or didn't say. Let it go. Move forward. And I just wonder how many here, I don't want to show of hands, of everything we did or said or didn't do this morning, this is what you need to hear. Let it go. Let it go. But don't just let it go and just fall. As you reach for what God has for you, you let it go whether it's a trophy and you're super proud of it, but it's slowing you down carrying, you know, 10 trophies, or if it's a tragedy and you still don't know why it happened or how it happened or let it go. Because the gospel includes getting forgiven and getting cleansed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whether it's unrighteousness I did or it was done to me, I can be cleansed. Let's wrap this up. If I want to be a blessing, I got to quit being judgmental of the Gentiles in my life. You know what? I might have different Gentiles than you do. I put that in quotes. You know, that, that bitterness someone burned you, or a people group. You might be that type of, you don't understand people who don't have tattoos. I'm not one of them. I, I could say, I don't understand people do. I don't understand people who don't have piercings, body piercings. You mean in the tongue and the nose and the, I've been in a lot, I mean, I've seen a lot of body piercings. They have them from an ear chain into the nose. He goes, okay. But you might go, I don't understand people who don't do that. That's okay. They're out there. But how about on a deeper level? I don't understand this people group. You know, they're like the uh, Illyricum. They're just so far away. Why even bother? Because God has put the love of that person in your heart. So I, I, I need to quit being so judgmental just because they don't live the way I do. I need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Here's the truth. We, 
We hear, Paul, you go a thousand miles without a plane or train or a taxi. How many Christians won't go across the street? And I'm not saying this to shame anybody, but what if it means going to a Bible study, going to an Ahana group when you're, you're so tired, you don't think you'll stay awake, but God wants to use you to speak something to the person next to you that night? Would you be inconvenienced? If I want to be a blessing, I need to have, make time for hang time to where people, you know, I like you. I like being around you. I don't need an agenda. Let's just hang. And finally, I got to have, I got to be able to point people to the God of peace. Now, in order for that to happen, I need to know the God of peace. I need to experience the God of peace. So for some of you in here, it could be letting go of some prejudice you have. It might be getting rid of the apathy. Be inconvenient this week. Go the second month. You know, I don't know about you, but when I've been inconvenienced, it's a, I, I can be such a stinker and it's so foul. And then you go there and you get so blessed to go, what was I thinking? It was so stupid. That was the best part of my whole week. You ever do that? For some of you, it might be experiencing the God of peace and pointing others to that. Let's close in prayer. If the worship team can come on up. We'll... Oh, God. How much of your word we just skip over? Lord, how much of it do we really know you like you want us to? This week, I, I pray you'd freshly cleanse us. We could experience the gospel all over again. We'd be forgiven. We'd be cleansed. No more regrets chaining us to the past, hindering us from work that's all around us that we'd be free, free to worship in spirit and in truth, free to tell others about the good news, free to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we give you our heart. You did a work in Paul. We're kind of jealous. We want to see that in us. We'll be like John the Baptist. We don't need to write books or do miracles. We'll be faithful to do what you called us to do. Lord, as we just sing to you now, as we worship in song, may you draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name.